Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the multi-best-selling author and relationship expert, Rory Biancalana. Hello, Rory, and welcome to the show. Uh, Zach, great to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Me too. And today we are going to be talking about getting in relationship shape. And for those that don't know, Roy Biancalana is a certified relationship coach and a nationally recognized expert in the field of attraction and conscious relationships. He is the author of three number one best-selling books, the latest of which is entitled Relationship Boot Camp, Hardcore Training for Love, Life, and the Pursuit of Intimacy. For the past 15 years, Roy has been supporting single people in the art of attracting healthy, sustainable, intimate relationships. His website, coachingwithroy.com, offers interactive e-courses for singles, couples, and anyone interested in personal development. He himself has a podcast called Attracting Lasting Love and believes in what he calls getting in relationship shape. How are you today, Roy? Hmm, Yeah, I'm doing good, doing Mm. good. I like to explore that topic for sure. I know, I'm excited. And before we get into today's, today's topic, I wanted to just talk about Attracting Lasting Love because you recently had a blog post with this title and what it means to attract lasting love. And you Mm -hmm. even have a podcast on this same topic. Mm -hmm. And in your post, you said that attracting lasting love involves asking just one question. So tell our listeners, what is this question and why should we be asking it? The question comes from a certain perspective that I should describe first, right? So there there are two basic ways you can see your life. You can see your life from a victim position, meaning you feel like things happen to you, right? They're beyond your control, mm-hmm. whether it's God, whether it's men, women, online dating, you know, my life is the way it is because things happen to me. Or you can view your life more as a creator, meaning things happen by you or because of you. Mm-hmm. So I often say, that life is like a movie and some people believe they are in somebody else's movie. They're Mm -hmm. just playing a bit part and somebody else is directing it and writing the script and decided on the plot and choosing, you know, the other actors in the movie and somebody else is the, you know, the director, the whole deal. And they're just in somebody else's movie, meaning they don't have any control over what's going on. Mm -hmm. The other way is to see that life is a movie and it's your movie, meaning you are the director, the producer, the casting agent, and the leading actor. So <laughs> that everything that happens, the script, the plot, is being directed by you. Okay. So mm-hmm. so those are two of the you know, the two most common ways of viewing your life. Life happens to me or by me. 
Okay. Now, the question to ask yourself that really begins to break open some deeper understanding about how to attract lasting love is the question, why am I single? Mm -hmm. And it sounds very simple. Why am I single? Now, most people are going to say, well, because I haven't met the right person yet. And what they're doing is they're playing the victim. What they're saying is, I'm single because fate, the gods, whatever. I just haven't bumped into the right person yet. I haven't met them yet. Mm -hmm. Right? Whereas when you ask yourself, why am I single? If you are going to be in the place where you're willing to take responsibility for your life, then the answer becomes, well, because on some level, I'm committed to being single. I'm writing the movie to where my life at this point, it, you know, the actor in the movie is single. In other words, I'm mm -hmm. doing it to myself. I am making myself or keeping myself single, of course, in some unconscious way. Okay? So why am I single is perhaps the most powerful question a single person who wants to meet someone can ask themselves. That's where you start. Mm -hmm. Because once you're willing to say, okay, you know, it's my movie. And right now at this part of the movie, <laughs> the script calls for me being single. <laughs> so, <laughs> because then from there, once you, once you really own that you're keeping yourself single, then the next step is quite obvious. You, you, you move into a place of real curiosity genuine, like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I keeping myself single? How am I sabotaging myself? And I don't know it. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what am I missing about myself? Do I have blind spots? Do, are there some childhood patterns and conditioning affecting my ability to open my heart and to receive and give love? Do I have a relationship persona that you know, some way, some fear-driven way I'm showing up in life that is attracting the wrong dynamics and the wrong partners. And, you know, I often joke that we often, our love lives are often lived in relationship groundhog day, right? The mm -hmm. same types of partners and the same basic patterns and problems and pain over and over and over again, right? So once you take responsibility and, and you, you own that I'm single because I'm doing something to myself, then you move into this curiosity space where you start really looking sort of behind the curtain. What am I missing about myself? And mm -hmm. so all of your attention is on you. It's not where do I meet someone and where do I go and all of that. It's more about how am I sabotaging or blocking myself? What barriers do I have to attracting lasting love that I'm not aware of? Mm -hmm. okay? And when a person is truly in that space, where they're willing to look in the mirror and discover and see what they haven't seen before, unbelievable things happen. Because I just happen to believe the universe is in support of our awakening, our, mm -hmm. it's in support of our self-awareness, to see ourselves clearly, right? And that's what's fun working with my clients is when they're in that space, you know, and we have this conversation around, Okay, what are the benefits of being single? Why would you want to keep yourself single? Mm -hmm. Like, like for instance, I, I use an illustration like driving a car. Okay, so people say that okay, I want to attract lasting love. I want to attract a life partner. 
So in my mind, that's like, I got my foot on the gas. I want my car to go to a destination. I want to I want to move in a direction and I'm hitting the gas pedal. That's my intention. That's what I want. But if it's not happening, okay, then it's like, well, that's because you got your other foot on the brake mm-hmm. and you don't know it, right? Now, if you've ever done this in a car, if you hit the gas pedal, you know, with one foot on the brake, the car will make a lot of noise, but it won't move. The brake is stronger than the gas pedal. Okay. So mm-hmm. a lot of us single people, we we can make a lot of noise. I want to find a partner. I want to find a partner. But if it's not happening, it's because in some unconscious way, you've got your foot on the brake, meaning you're afraid of a relationship for some reason. There is a downside to it. There is a belief maybe that you have. Something going on is resisting yourself from experiencing what you want. Mm-hmm. And again, this conversation only makes sense if you're willing to see yourself as the creator of your life rather than a victim, mm-hmm. right? So it's just so much fun to explore with a client, how do you have your, your foot on the brake? And I often say, give me five reasons why it's better to be single. Mm. Give, me, give me five reasons. You know, what are the downsides of being in a relationship? What do you think you'd have to give up? What do you think it would cost you to be in a relationship? And almost to a single person, they start to rattle off various beliefs that they have about love and intimacy and relationships that are almost always based upon things they've seen in the past, experiences they've had, things they've seen their parents do, other relationships around them. Mm-hmm. It's just an it's just an amazing thing when a person opens up to to why they might resist letting themselves be in a relationship. Does that does that make sense? Absolutely. I very much agree with all the things that you're saying. I do believe just how important that self-inquiry, self-reflection and gaining mm-hmm. of self-knowledge is important as you mentioned mm-hmm. there is this phenomenon known as the relationship groundhog day because we do have deeply ingrained patterns mm-hmm. about how love is supposed to work, how relationships are supposed to work. And if we don't become aware of and change those patterns, we will, of course, fall into the same negative or toxic or even just single them again and again. And one thing I want to ask you about is I'm hearing your ideas on being the victim versus being the creator of one's own life. And I'm curious about what your advice is for the people who kind of do have some low self-esteem and lack some confidence. And they come to this question like, why am I single? And then they end up kind of wallowing in some self-judgment and self-criticism and maybe self-hatred because they answer the question like, I'm single because I'm a loser and I'm ugly and no one mm-hmm. you know, is going to love me in, in mm-hmm. this life. So how do we not fall into that trap of self-blame once we become aware that like we are the creator of our own life? Yeah, right. Well, that's a great question. And it, it is possible, and it's not uncommon for a person to sort of turn on themselves once they begin to open up to the possibility that their life and the results they're experiencing are sort of coming from themselves, mm-hmm. from their from their sort of the unconscious places within them. Um, and really, all I can say is that Blaming yourself 
it, it just drives you further into the victim place because you say, I'm a loser. I'm not, I'm ugly or whatever. So what you're saying is you're at the effect of those things and you're just driving yourself into a darkness and into a hole. And there is no need for self-blame. There, mm-hmm. there is just the opportunity to recognize that you are a human like everybody else and that there are things that that are going on within you that you're not aware of, that you don't mm-hmm. see, right? That maybe other people in the world might see, but that you're simply not aware of how your childhood patterns and conditioning are affecting you or how you've developed relationship personas or how you have a personality blind spot, right? Mm-hmm. So the invitation for people like that is to sort of just drop that sort of mind nonsense. It's just the mind. It's just, mm-hmm. right, the, the, the mind, there's an old commercial, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. And I'm like, no, the mind is a terrible thing to listen to. Mm-hmm. It's just best to kind of drop all the self-blame and and all of that and just open up as best you can to being curious about you know, from a loving place, what am I not seeing about myself? What am, mm-hmm. what, what can I learn? All right. What, how can I become more self-aware? Mm. Um, and, you know, in a spirit of gentleness and inquiry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some, some of us have a stronger, well, Freud called it the superego, you know, that inner critic. Mm-hmm. We all have it. Some have it worse than others. And I don't know if you can ever shut that thing off. It's like, you know, when you get into meditation and you start to meditate a little bit, one of the things you recognize is thoughts just come out of nowhere. It's mm-hmm. not like you choose every thought you have. They just pop in your head. Like, where'd that come from? And like, where, and then when it's gone, like, where did it go? So thoughts are sort of relatively meaningless. The more you meditate, the more you see that it's just sort of energy patterns in the body. They just come and they go and they're not. They're not really, you don't need to pay attention to every thought you have it because mm-hmm. it's just not real. It's usually based on the past, maybe the way you were raised. Somebody criticized you when you were young and you owned it. You know, you took it in within yourself. Yes, I am a piece of crap, uh, piece of crap or yes, I am, you know, never going to amount to anything. You know, parents say these things. Um, sometimes our friends in childhood say these things and we absorb them and they're they're sort of there. And I don't know if you can ever do an exorcism and get all that stuff out of you, but I do know you can ignore it. I do know you can set it aside. It's just loser, ugly. Really? Aren't there a lot of people in the world who are worse off than you that are in relationships? Right? So, you know, is it true that there's something so wrong with you that you can't be in a relationship? Right? Mm-hmm. If you If you really ask yourself that question... And you sort of look around in the world. Don't be so hard on yourself, <laughs> and just shift into curiosity about, you know, what you can learn about yourself. Mm. Yeah, when you first mentioned talking about um, dropping the mind nonsense, and then you went into meditation, that's exactly where my thoughts went too. Because there's a few phrases in meditation communities I love. One is which that you don't have to believe everything that you think. Mm-hmm. And even psychologists have this term called intrusive thoughts that, you know, thoughts pop up into our awareness and we don't necessarily have to entertain them or even believe them. And then we also say that you might be having a challenging experience and it might be very real, but it's not true. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And I really appreciate your emphasis on approaching those thoughts with love, with gentleness and with just a warm regard um, for your own being. Right. Right. Yeah. We're not to get too far ahead of us, but, you know, in my in my book, Relationship Boot Camp, you know, I put everything kind of in a fitness metaphor to, to try to make it interesting. And so I identify seven different relationship muscles, you could say, that need to be strong if you're going to attract a healthy, sustainable relationship. And one of the muscles is your relationship to your mind, Mm. to that voice in your head. And you're given a choice. You can either listen to it or you can laugh at it, (laughs) Right? (laughs) right? And most of us take our thoughts to be who we are and we listen to them. We believe them and then we act on them and, right? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the quotes I love from Michael Singer, he's probably my favorite spiritual teacher. If, if people don't know who he is, um, he wrote the book, The Untethered Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, he said, I would rather listen to a magic eight ball than listen to my own mind. Mm. Right. Just making the point that it's so full of garbage in there. It's just, there's wild thoughts. And so, yes, you don't have to listen or believe in every, every thought. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't drive down the street and the voice in my head says, smash into that moron for the way he's driving. <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, mm-hmm. I ignore that one because that's like, that's insane, right? But there's this, there's this, like you have an inner roommate in there. It's just yapping at you. It's just talking, 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 talking. Mm-hmm. And usually it's just pure nonsense and made up stories and assumptions. One of the tricks of living a happy life is to learn to not pay attention to your own thinking. Mm -hmm. And not only can we like learn to notice our thoughts, not get so caught up in them, we can also kind of intentionally rewrite our story, rewrite our thoughts, rewire Mm -hmm. our brain to be Mm -hmm. more conducive to like the happiness and love and joy that we want in our life. Mm -hmm. Because earlier you were talking about how part of our examination process of thinking about why we are single is looking at our ideas and beliefs about love and relationships. And you brought up your book and one of the final chapters in your book is on what you call rewriting your love story. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about what it means to rewrite our love story and tell our listeners a bit about like what is the common or what are some common narratives people have and what might we want to rewrite that story as? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So now we're touching on another one of the muscles, which is your relationship to love itself. Right. And I think one of the most fascinating conversations to have, or to even have with yourself is to ask yourself, okay, based upon the way I was raised and what I've experienced and what I've seen around me, what stories do I have about love and intimacy and relationships because of all that, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of us don't grow up in the most enlightened environments. In fact, probably hardly anybody has. And so you have very human parents. You've seen things going on all around you, even sometimes into your adolescent years, your teenage years. And we start to develop sort of assumptions or we have beliefs or stories about, well, this is what love is. This is what a relationship is. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, what if you were raised in a house where 
you know, um, you could have a story that love is about power. So perhaps it's not uncommon to have, you know, a parent where one, one parent was sort of the dominant one and the other one was very submissive. And so that may, because that person made all the money and so they lorded it over the family and, you know, and they were sort of in charge. And then you, you saw the other person sort of kowtowing, sort of being submissive, sort of disappearing, you know, that, that kind of power dynamic. So if you grow up in that dynamic, you know, you might just have this impression. You're just like, not, you're not even necessarily choosing it. It's just, it's like the water that a fish, a fish is in the water. It's like, it's like the water you grew up in. It's just, it was around you. And so you can have this assumption that, oh, relationships are about power. Mm-hmm. And that can make you have a very sort of unconscious inner resistance to letting yourself open your heart to someone. Because in your mind, oh, that person's going to dominate me. It's going to tell me what to do, where I can go, and I'm going to lose myself. And, you know, it's going to be all about them you know, and all that kind of stuff. So that's just one story about how your, what you've seen as a child can color your view of relationships. And and Mm -hmm. then, you know, sort of, you know, you'll, you won't let yourself get into a relationship because you, you don't want to be in that. Another one is like love is pain, right? You can grow up in a, in a home where, there was a lot of arguing and a lot of hurtful things. And, you know, your mom and dad didn't really like each other, you know, but yet they were always together and it was conflict and painful. And so that's what you witnessed. That's what you saw. So you can come out of your childhood. Well, that's what, that's what a relationship is. It's sort of painful. And you're like, well, I don't want any part of that. Right. But Mm -hmm. I want to meet someone. I want to meet someone. Why aren't you? Well, maybe because you have a story that, to open up your heart means you're going to get hurt. Mm. You're, 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 you're going to feel pain. You're, and so why would you let yourself be in a relationship when you feel like that's what is likely to happen? Okay. Mm-hmm. So another one is love is, is compromise. Okay. Like I even say in the book, if you go to somebody's 40th or 50th, you know, wedding anniversary party, and you ask, you know, the happy couple at 50 years, you know, the married 50 years, what's the secret? What's the secret? There's a really good chance that they're going to say it's the willingness to compromise. It's the willingness to, you know, to, you know, to give and to take and, and all that kind of stuff. And in my mind, compromise sets up a win-lose dynamic. So compromise means, all right, so in this situation... I won't do what I want or, and and then you can, but maybe in the future, then you'll have to compromise for something that I want to do. So it sets up a dynamic where the thought process is not win-win. So in other words, the relationship is not about how can both people have and be and do everything they want. To me, a healthy relationship is one in which both people in the relationship are not giving up any dream or any direction or any decision for the relationship. Hmm. See, this is a big thing. 
most people think the relationship is the important thing. Mm-hmm. And and then you have to compromise to make the relationship work. And I'm like, no, that's creating codependence. Okay. In my mind, the end of your your individual expression in this life, who you are, what you want to pursue, what your dreams are, what what gift you want to give the world, just that's primary. And you only get into a relationship when you feel like by being in this relationship, I am more likely to be everything that I want to be, not less likely. Hmm. In other words, I don't have to give up anything about who I am or what I dream or what I aspire to, to be with you. No, no. By being with you, I'm more likely to be everything I want to be and vice versa. So to me, a healthy relationship is when both people are there to support each other in being who they want to be. Now, if it turns out that that person wants to go this direction, but the other person wants to go in some other direction, mm-hmm. well, then you don't belong together. But you don't compromise. You know, so you're not in a marriage and like, well, you know, I always wanted to go to school and get my MBA, you know, and start my own business. But, you know, I got married and your your dad had a had a busy job and so I've just, I just let go of all that. And most people would go, ew. Well, if that's what it means to be in a relationship where someone's going to have to compromise some direction or decision or dream in order to be in a relationship, well, then maybe you won't let yourself get into a relationship if that's what it means. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these are, I think in my book, I list anywhere between five and eight different love stories. Um, these are the kind of beliefs that that we can have that they are what is putting the foot on the brake. Mm. And so sometimes you need to surface the love story. What do I believe about love and intimacy? You know, what what are my assumptions about it? What do I think it would mean? Am I going to have to give up something, lose control of myself? I can't go where I want and do what I want and spend my money the way I want. I mean, I tell my clients all the time, <laughs> Zach, that I don't give up any freedom to be with my wife. I am monogamous with her because I want to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's because it's the way I want to live, right? I'm not giving up wild sex to be married. Heavens no. My wife would never want me to give that up. Now, she might not want to be with me if I did that. But if I said to my wife, I think my path is you know, I got to experiment with with a lot of different women and, you know, that's just part of what my journey is. And I really believe that part of my evolution is to go out and have sex with a bunch of different women. She would support that because she would want me to be and do everything that I think that I need to do to be who I am. Now, she wouldn't be with me because she doesn't want to be in a relationship that's like that, but she would never stand in the way. So I just tell people all the time that, you know, I'm married, but she's no ball and chain, right? Mm -hmm. That's what people say. Oh, got the ball and chain, right? So what are they saying? They're saying that they believe a relationship is a hindrance, that somehow it's going to hold you back. Somehow you can't really be and do everything you want. I'm like, that's not true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If my my wife, if I ever got wind of my wife wanted to do something or had a dream about something or wanted to go someplace and visit someone and she she wasn't doing it because because of me mm-hmm. i i would be talk about getting angry i'd be like 
No, my whole purpose to be in your in your world, baby, is I want to support you in being the woman that you want to be. And if and if and if this relationship is holding you back, then the relationship's got to go. Right? But most people don't see it that way. They see a relationship as a potential hindrance in some way. And so they end up, here's what people do then. They attract partners, but they seem to attract the emotionally unavailable. Well, mm-hmm. people that are still married or separated, or they've got something going on where they really aren't ready and able to make a commitment. Well, how convenient. I've got this unconscious story that a relationship is going to be a hindrance. So I don't really want to open my heart to something. Therefore, it's perfect when I when I meet someone who's really not available anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. So every time I work with a client and they say, what, you know, I say, what's your pattern? You know, what's your groundhog day? Oh, I just keep meeting emotionally unavailable people. And I'm like, okay, tell me what the benefit of that is to you. How does that serve you? And they're like, what do you mean? Well, I don't want that. Yes, you do. It's your movie. How is it a benefit? And they're like, well, maybe it's one of these kind of stories that, oh, love is about power and I don't, I don't want to lose myself or love is about pain. I'm going to get hurt or love is about compromise. And I don't, I don't want to have to compromise things that are important to me. Right. Mm-hmm. So once you can identify the story, then you just do inquiry on it. Like, is it true that love is about power? Okay. I know you witnessed that, but does it have to be that way? Is every relationship about power? Is every relationship painful? Is every relationship about compromise? So a little bit of Byron Katie's work can come in here, right? Maybe your audience is familiar with Byron Katie. She's got a great inquiry process about looking at our thoughts and really putting them up against serious questions. And the first one, is it true? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And it's important to acknowledge that in our environment, it was true. What we witnessed around us growing up. Okay. Yes, it was true. Let me give you an example of how this played out with a client of mine. Um, I was working with this woman. She's like 42 years old, she was by any standard gorgeous, okay? Because my clients will send me a picture so I can know who I'm talking to. Just beautiful, right? And she'd never been in a serious, committed relationship in her entire life, okay? So we're exploring that. And one time in our conversation, she just, it was just telling me a little, we were just chit-chatting for a second. And she's like, oh yeah, when I was 14, my parents went through a really awful divorce, I mean, they were just at each other's throats. It was horrible. It was, it was just that the whole thing was sick. And I, she's, this is what she said to me. I just remember at that point telling myself, I will never let that happen to me. And, and then she went on with the conversation and I was like, wait, 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 beep, 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 back the truck up girl. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what did you just say? And I had to remind her, I said, you said that when you saw your parents having all the fighting that you would never let that happen to you. Yeah, right. Well, so, well, do you think that might have a reason why you've never been in a relationship? What's the best way to never go through a painful divorce? And she said, oh my God, maybe it's never to get close enough to someone to where that could happen. I said, ding, ding, ding. That's why you're single. Is because you made a commitment to the universe that you would never take a chance and risk 
a painful breakup. Now, do you want to rewrite that story? Do, do you want to look at it square in the eye and deal with that? Is it mm-hmm. possible that you could get hurt? Yes. But you're, it's also, you're never going to enjoy love if you let that control you. So I, I think the listener here can really understand she was sabotaging herself without even knowing it just to keep herself safe. Mm-hmm. So she put a wall around her heart. She's a beautiful woman and nobody, she's no relationships. And she had a wall around her heart and walls will keep you safe, but they will keep you single. Hmm. Right. So these are the kind of things that I think people really need to look at if they want to create something really healthy and sustainable. I love that line. You just said that walls will keep you safe and they will keep you single. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of the other phrase that says that ships are safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. (laughs) And I feel like everything you're saying ties into what we were talking about earlier, because earlier we were talking about what it means to let go of our thoughts and not get so caught up in them. And what I'm hearing from you now is how important it is to also let go of our story and the stories that we've kind of absorbed from the past that don't quite relate in the future. And I love that your metaphor involve the driving of the car and how basically one foot is on the pedal and one foot is on the brake because when we do like let go of our story it is like letting the foot off of the brake Mm -hmm. and we just start moving right there's nothing like it happens almost on its own once we're able to sort of drop those self-sabotaging beliefs because I do think that, you know, new children kind of come into this world as little love sponges, gaining mm-hmm. an understanding of what love is and what it means. Mm-hmm. So we see one of our parents constantly berating the other one. Mm-hmm. And we come to the conclusion that I guess love means constant criticism. Yeah. So we sort of examine those stories and we let go of them. And I also love what you said about seeing our relationship as a bringing forth of our fullest expression. And it reminded me of the other phrase that's often said in weddings, which is, I love you not because of who you are, but because of who I am when I am with you. Mm. And how those strong, intimate, amazing relationships are those that bring forth the goodness in us. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned a couple of the muscles already. You mentioned the muscle of the relationship to love itself and the relationship to your mind. So let's just back up a little bit Mm -hmm. on what it means to strengthen these muscles and then be in relationship shape. So this is kind of your concept. So for our listeners, what does it mean to be in relationship shape? (laughs) Yeah. So I like to use an analogy that I think is, is so appropriate, right? So if the listener can just imagine that they want to, you know, they want to run in a triathlon, they want to compete in a triathlon, they want to do well. And further imagine, because it's not true, that I'm a triathlon coach, right? So you want to do well in the triathlon, you're going to hire me as a coach, you know, to help you do well, okay? So we sit down, we start talking, and you start asking me questions about you know, how do you survive the water in the beginning when it's a frenzy? And how do you transition from the water to the bike and the bike to the run? And you're out there all day long. So how much food do you eat? When do you eat? How much water do you drink? Where should I speed up on the course? You know, make up some time. Where should I slow down? 
And it dawns on me that you're asking important questions, but they're all about race day. They're all about the actual race. And having been a, an experienced triathlete, and as your coach, you know, bells are going off in my head like, wait, 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 wait. Those are important questions. You're not asking me the question that you should be asking me, which is, how do I get in shape to finish a triathlon? That's the question. If you're 50 pounds overweight, you can have the best race day strategy in the world and you're not going to make it 100 yards in the water. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to be in shape if you want to go the distance. Okay? Now, that's exactly what it is in your love life. When people come to me, they often ask race day questions, meaning where do I go to meet someone and how do I approach them or how do I get them to approach me? What do I say? How do I flirt? What do I, how do I dress? Okay. Important questions. Mm-hmm. But what, what I have learned over decades of doing this and, and, and really, especially looking at my own life and my own relationship disasters, because I've had a bunch, is that that moment when you're on the starting line in a relationship, meaning the starting line is when you first face a person face-to-face. Maybe you met them online, maybe at a networking thing, maybe at a bar. I met my wife. I sat down next to her in a personal growth conference, okay? There's the start line, right? So if I'm not in shape, I'm not going the distance. Just like in the triathlon, Mm -hmm. you get on that starting line, it's too late, okay? So, So all of my work is preparing people for something real is to get yourself in relationship shape so that however the universe unfolds, that moment when you're standing face-to-face with someone, you are prepared to go the distance, Mm -hmm. okay? So I've identified what I call seven relationship muscles that you need to have them be strong in your life. You You need to be relationally in shape, relationally fit, so that you can engage with another human being and you know, not create something mediocre, but create something really amazing and and really healthy and sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so the focus changes from where do I find them to what work do I need to do on myself? What type of training do I need to get into to get myself strong, to strengthen these relationship muscles? And one of them is a relationship with your mind. Another one is a relationship with your emotions. Most people are not very emotionally intelligent. Some are emotional, but they don't necessarily know how to feel their feelings and express their feelings and be with their feelings in a healthy way. They end up blaming people for them or projecting them. Other people are just emotionally clueless. They live as if they have no body at all. And they don't they don't know what their feelings are, and they certainly can't be with their partner's feelings. And emotions are the touch point in a relationship. And if, if you don't have a, a certain degree of emotional intelligence, you're you're going to just be in drama after drama after drama. Okay, so that's that's one. Maybe the biggest one we could talk for days on is your relationship to your past. I often joke that the only people in the world that don't have wounds from the past are the babies in the maternity ward. Okay? <laughs> the, the rest of us have been hurt Sometimes dramatically, we have deep trauma from abuse, addiction, abandonment, 
But all of us have got bumps and bruises from being deceived or betrayed or ghosted or gaslighted. We've been hurt, right? And we've, we've got scars and mm-hmm. they're real. And you can bring them with you into a relationship. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I another joke I make with people just to try to get their attention on this is I'm like, you can be in a menage a trois from hell, meaning it's you, the other person, and your past, and the three of you are in this relationship. Okay, and so yeah, all the four of you because there's well, your their past, past too, past right? Too, exactly, yeah. exactly, right. So for for many of us, our past is not something that happened; it's something that's happening. It's still alive in us, and so if a person's been cheated on a, a couple of times. They're going to meet this new person. And unless they've done some real work to let go of that pain and to process it, you know, which is what I do with my clients, they're going to meet this new person and they're going to be a little guarded. They're going to be a little suspicious. They're going to be like, are you going to hurt me too? Are you going to cheat on me too? It's almost impossible to not project your past, if it's still alive in you, onto the person in front of you. And you know, the other person can probably feel on some level that you have them at arm's length or that they're having to sort of almost prove themselves um, or that the relationship, you're, you're keeping it from evolving at a natural pace because you're scared of something. In other words, the other person can sense the energy uh, of, of you being guarded or suspicious and it's a turnoff. So like, it's like, I, I, nobody wants to bring a sledgehammer on a date and to beat down your wall. I, I'll just go to that girl <laughs> over there with her arms are wide open. Like, right. So a lot of times we, we have to do some real work on our past hmm. to let it go, to deal with forgiveness and regret and all, all that kind of stuff so that we're able to meet the next person with a clean emotional slate. Like the audience doesn't know this, but I have a huge background in professional golf. Okay. So I, I used to play on the tour. I've beaten Tiger Woods back in his major, in, in, in his, um, in his heyday. Okay. So I, I, I played professional golf for most of my adult life. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm 61. So I'm way past my prime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, but all of sports psychology, and it's a huge industry, but all it is, is teaching you, can you let go of the past shot or the past point or the past pitch or the past at bat and meet the next one as if nothing's ever happened in the past. It's just like you're present and you're available with a clean slate. Mm -hmm. And now it's just this shot. I'm not hitting this shot thinking about the last one because I'm liable to overcompensate or repeat or something, right? So, that's what we're talking about with your past is if it's still alive in you, it's going to poison you. It, it's, 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 it's going to close your heart. It's going to make you act weird. It's going to do all things to sabotage your love life. So these are the kind of things that I tell people before we have a conversation about where to go to meet someone, man, let's make sure that you're, you're in shape here. Let, mm-hmm. Let's find out. Are all the muscles strong enough to make this thing work? Or are you just going to attract someone and then it's going to turn out to be another disappointing love affair like the other ones have been? Wouldn't that be tragic to just have another disappointing relationship that doesn't go the distance? Mm. And 
yeah, that's that's where I really implore people to put their attention on themselves rather than on how to find someone. Yeah, what I'm hearing from you is almost that everyone wants love, but mm-hmm. not everyone is ready for it. <laughs> like- Correct. But everybody can get ready for it, mm, right? Right. Yeah, we can get there. And it's really not that hard. But most of us are not ready for it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what? Not ready for something really special. I mean, if all you want is to be with someone where you just don't murder each other and you sort of kind of get by, oh, well, anybody can do that, right? But if you want something extraordinary where you're supporting each other and enjoying each other and it's passionate and you're both growing as people together, if you want an extraordinary thing, that takes a little bit of work to get yourself, you know, as healthy as you can be. Because we Mm -hmm. always, we always... Here's the law of attraction, okay? The law of attraction is so misused by so many nut jobs out there. All it means is that you attract after your own kind. It means like attracts like. So if you're sort of unhealthy and out of relationship shape, you are going to attract someone else who's unhealthy and out of shape, and there you go. But if you are healthy, you will attract someone healthy, Mm -hmm. right? So... So that's why I tell people, don't worry about where to find someone. If you, if, if, if you are in a healthy, growing, evolving, awakening place and you're on that journey, then you will attract someone who is in the same realm. They're, they're on the same level. They, right. Cause you, you can never be in a relationship that's healthier than you are. Right. So that's where all the attention is, is yeah, we're most of us are not ready for something extraordinary, but we can easily get there. Just like not everybody can run a triathlon just right now. I know I couldn't, but could I get in shape for it? Oh yeah, of course I could. Yeah. Something that's been on my mind a lot lately is this basic idea that it's hard to build connection with somebody who is disconnected from themselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that very much ties into what I'm hearing from you. And a lot of that has to do with what is in our past. And I love what you said earlier about basically if you have a negative past, a traumatic past, and it's still alive in you, it's going to poison you and your current attempts at relationships. And thinking about your view on law of attraction, I was also thinking like, if you are disconnected from yourself, somebody else who's connected to themselves is going to see that in you and then decide not to be in partnership. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're playing, you're almost playing different games. I, I, I often describe it like whatever condition you're in, it's like going to a field on Saturday morning with a soccer ball and you're at a place where you're going to play soccer. Well, if a person shows up with a basketball, they can't play, they can't play with you because you're, you're playing different games. So in that regard, your, your relationship fitness level is you're at a certain, you're at a certain level and only people at the same level can play with you, can play the same sort of game if you kind of get my drift there, right? So the whole trick is to raise your game to become healthier and then you attract a healthier person and now you're, now you're in business. 
So we're running just a bit low on time, and I want to get into, let's just do one more muscle. We've talked about a couple already. We don't have time to get to all seven. People will just have to check out your book. Yeah. But um, let's talk about one more muscle, maybe your favorite one or the one you most often find yourself return, returning to. What's another muscle we want to strengthen in order to get into relationship shape? Right. Your, your relationship to your inner truth. This is the communication muscle. This is, the choice is, are you going to be someone who is a revealer or a concealer, right? Now, most people, I, I, whenever I give a talk or a podcast or some sort of live event, I ask the audience, I'm like, okay, so would you rather be in a relationship that is characterized by openness and transparency and authenticity, or would you rather be in one that's characterized by playing games and withholds and lies and manipulation. Okay. And everybody says, says they want the authentic, the, the authentic one mm-hmm. until they know what that actually means. Okay. <laughs> so what it, what it means is that when you, when you want to be a revealer, what that, what that means is you understand that intimacy is about knowing and being known. I, I I love the um, I love the way it's even described early in the Bible w- with Adam and Eve. Okay, and it says they were both in the garden and they were naked and unashamed. Okay, now that doesn't mean they didn't have clothes on for God's sakes. It's a spiritual text, right? So it means that they were naked. They were laid bare. There were no secrets. It was like I can see you, Eve. I can see all of you: the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever. I see you, and there's no shame. There's no judgment. And she sees Adam. He's not hiding. He's not concealing anything. He's naked. So I call it dating naked. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's this, it's this idea of saying, if you want to be in an authentic, open, transparent relationship, then start it that way. Just show up and say, I'm going to reveal myself to you. Right? Now, this doesn't mean you tell someone on a first date how much money you make or you don't go through your sexual history or tell them any, you know, any real medical. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about as you're with them and as you're experiencing them, are you going to reveal that experience? Are you going to let them know what you're feeling in that moment and, and what's happening inside of you? Okay. So, for, I, I always use this as an illustration because it's kind of it's kind of radical, but it's it makes the point here. Okay, you're on a first date with someone, and they've just ordered their fourth drink, and you can tell they're kind of slurring their words now. Okay, so you're sitting over here and like, oh my god, um, I'm not comfortable with this. This person's. Uh, I'm wondering if they have a drinking problem. I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who's drinking a lot. I, I, well, man, this is you know, this is crazy. I'm feeling a little scared. I, I don't know what, okay. Now that's, what's going on inside of you. If you say you want to be an authentic person who lives in candor and you want to be a revealer, then I'm saying you would say that to that person, right? In that moment, you would say, Hey, Joe, and we'll just do it as if he's a guy we can, we can flip it around easily, but Hey, Joe, I noticed you just ordered, you know, your fourth drink. And when you did, I could feel my stomach really tightened up and I'm scaring myself right now. I have thoughts over here like you might have a drinking problem. 
Um, I, I'm thinking like, I don't want to be in a relationship with someone's got a drinking problem and I'm having thoughts like, man, I should get up and just walk out. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with, with this. And I just want you to know it. So you're not telling him he's bad or wrong. You're not, you're not doing any of that. You're just letting him know when you ordered that drink, here's what happened over here. I'm just revealing that to you. Now it's going to probably result in a conversation, one in which he may get triggered and throw his drink in your face and walk out. Or he might say something like, you know what, you're right. I, I have a tendency to drink too much when I'm nervous and I like you so much and you're so attractive that I've 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 gone too far. You're you're right. Thank you for calling me out. I actually want to be in a relationship with a woman who's not afraid to call me out. Oh, okay, now that's different. Okay. Right. But the the point is is that whenever, when whatever moment you are in a relationship, you're experiencing your partner. You're you're having your own experience, and you. I mean, you might be sitting across from someone on a first date, and over here in your head, you're like, "Oh my God, our children would be beautiful." And it's like, <laughs> I'm all I'm already thinking about our second date, and I, I boy, I'm hoping he likes me. Okay, are you going to hide that, or are you going to look over at him and say, "You know what? I'm over here." fantasizing about how attractive our children would be because I'm totally into you. And I know it's only our first date and I'm probably getting way ahead of myself, but I do that sort of thing. But I just want you to know that I'm finding you like I'm, I'm all up in your business. And people say, Oh my God, I could never say that. Well, you're hiding then because that is your truth, right? You're, you're concealing that. It's, I'm not saying you're, you know, I'm, you know, you actually, if you actually feel that way, then I would say, say it to him. Be be honest. If if you want to be a revealer and not play games, because people would say, oh no, I can't, I couldn't say that because then that person would have all the power I could get taken advantage of, or they'll think I'm coming on too strong. I'll push them away. It'll scare someone off. Right. So that's like, okay, so I'm not going to say that. Um, I'll say this or this or this. And so now you're playing a game, right? You're you're not revealing what's really true. You're revealing what you think they would like to hear so that you can control the outcome of this date. You see what I mean by that? It's like, so we very often reveal the things we think the other person would be turned on by or that they would like about us, but we don't reveal things that we feel like the other person might misunderstand or judge us for. Like, you know, so, oh, I would never tell someone on a first date that I have a tendency to be jealous and I'm sort of insecure. I would never let them know about that because that might chase them off. Oh, okay. So you want to play games. You don't really want an authentic relationship. Because if you did, you would just say, hey, I just want to let you know that sometimes I can be really insecure and be a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's just, that's just me, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So, so I call it redactive dating, like in the government, right? They they have a document and they're going to release it to the public, but but there's all these big black lines on it. It's like, okay, we'll show you this part, but you can't read that part. <laughs> and so we sort of date that way. I'm going to show you this part, but you can't see that part. I'm going to show you that I'm, you know, that, you know, I'm happy-go-lucky and I got a good job, but I'm not going to tell you that maybe I've got a temper and sometimes it gets the best of me, Right. So now there are lots of conversations to have about these things as to sort of when is it appropriate to reveal 
some some of these things. But I'm getting at the general principle of what do you do with your inner truth? What's going on, what is unarguably going on inside of you? Do you reveal it or do you conceal it? Hmm. And that just brings up all kinds of fears for people because we all want to be liked. We all want, we all want it. We're all control freaks. We all want to try to control how, how we're seen by others. And, you know, but, but we end up playing games. We see, here's the thing. I know we're running out of time, but when you, when you are, when you're not a, a revealer, when you conceal, when you play the game of, I'll show you this part of me, but not that part of me, you never get to feel secure in the relationship because you recognize that they have fallen in love with the part that you've shown them, but they don't love you because you haven't shown them you. You're continually showing them the parts that you find that will be acceptable. And so then you can never really feel secure. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're like Adam and Eve and you're like naked, here I am, all right? So I'm not proud of some things, but I'm not going to hide them from you. I, I, I'm just, this is me. This is, you know, you know, I'm already planning our wedding or, or I'm insecure or, you know, um, I felt sort of, I was, I felt angry about the way you treated that server just now. You were kind of short with that person. And I just want to let you know that bothered me. Uh, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't like that. Right. We, we don't do that because we don't want to chase somebody away. But but then we don't show ourselves and then we never get to feel unconditional love. You can never experience unconditional love until you're naked in front of someone and they're like, yeah, I love all of you. Hmm. Right. So, yeah, those those are some of the things that really need to be worked on if you want to create real authenticity and, you know, real intimacy. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. People often say that like confidence or strength is really sexy. But in my experience, I find honesty <laughs> is really yeah. sexy. That's because, and, you're, that's because you're an evolving man and you, you, you <laughs> see the confidence can be BS. The most confident people in the world are also the most insecure. We live in this duality, right? That's my experience anyway, is that often what we present, we are trying to kind of compensate for something, you know, of the opposite nature. Like I, you know, that that's my personality type. I'm, if anybody knows about the Enneagram, I'm a type three, so I'm an achiever, right? But I've just got this huge fear of failure thing, <laughs> this mm-hmm. huge story of I'm not good enough. So I'm going to try to prove myself to the world, right? So yeah, very often confident people are very, very insecure on the inside. And yeah, it's just sexier when a person just owns that mm-hmm. and says, yeah, I'm I'm confident, but there's a part of me that is so, I mean, there's a scared little boy in me that you wouldn't imagine, mm-hmm. right? Oh, see, I'm drawn to that kind of conversation and so are you. That's because of what we do. Um, but, but that's the pathway, I think. Mm. Yep, absolutely. I love your emphasis on cultivating a relationship to truth. And it reminds me of the book, Everybody Lies by mm. Seth Stevens Davidowitz. Mm-hmm. And because his main thesis is that one of the biggest reasons we lie to others is because we lie so much to ourselves mm-hmm. and yeah. we don't acknowledge our shadows, our imperfections. Right. 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 Oh, I love that. Yeah, we all have shadows. We all have garbage and we all have our insecurities and our issues. And to show up whole like that and not have to play any games and try to get anyone to like me by 
you know, showing certain parts and hiding other parts. Oh, that's exhausting. <laughs> but but just to date naked, that's pretty easy. Just walk around. Here I am. There it is. This is it. <laughs> and if you love what you see, we're in business. If you don't, that's okay. You know, that's okay. I, I think that should be your next book, Date Naked. <laughs> it's not a bad one. Because <laughs> sex is going to sell. People will be like, mm, what's this about? And then you're going to go into vulnerability. Yeah, and then right. people, oh, no. So thank you so much, Roy, for coming on to the show. I wish I had a longer forum podcast to ask a thousand more questions, but I only have t time for one more, really, and that's the final question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? That it's plentiful, right? That it's the nature of reality and that it's all around you. It's the water you're swimming in. And we only don't experience it because we're blocking it somehow. Fear is just blocking us from being love and experiencing love, however the universe wants it to show up, right? And then the other thing that I would just invite people to do is to discover what your current relationship fitness level is, right? Like we're talking about being in relationship shape is the key to attracting a healthy, sustainable relationship. Well, how in shape are you? And on my website, coachingwithroy.com, there is a self-test that I've created that will give you your relationship fitness results immediately. It's a 30-question true-false test. It's absolutely free. It's totally confidential. And it's unfortunately very accurate. It will it will tell you what your, <laughs> what your relationship fitness level. I took the test myself, as did my wife, from the mentality we had before we met each other and worked with our respective coaches. Um, and we both were in the worst category, which made sense because my love life was a disaster and so was hers. So I just encourage people to find out what your current fitness level is now, because once you know that, well, well then I, well, especially me, I, I could put a program together to get you in better shape and then you're in business. So thank you so much for that. I love your sentiment. And you just mentioned your website where people can find it. So tell our listeners where they can find you on yep. the internet. Yep. Coachingwithroy.com. You know, there are links to my books on Amazon there. I've got video courses. My my cell phone is right on the homepage. You can text me if you want to have a conversation about the possibility of working one-on-one, -on -one, which is a, I do, I do a free exploratory conversation about that. And you can find the relationship fitness self-assessment test right there on the homepage. So everything is at coachingwithroy.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Roy Biancalana, for coming on to the show. His new book is Relationship Boot Camp, Hardcore Training for Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Intimacy. I encourage all our listeners to check it out. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to ZachBeach.com and learn more about the show at TheHeartCenter.com. Thanks again, Roy. Thank you very much, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.